If you have a dream that needs to come to fruition and you need the encouragement in order to keep that dream alive, then plug into the next chapter of the Power Narrative Podcast, the best of the Amp Hour Edition. Many, 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 many thanks to all the power plugs who continually plug in. But for all of those who are new to the Power Narrative podcast and you don't quite know what the Amp Hour edition is, if you don't know, you're about to know. An Amp Hour is the capacity of a charge over a given amount of time. Now, we all have been given a gift. And we've been charged to use that gift during the course of the allotted time we have in this life. Now, most times we've been charged to do something that requires more energy than our current set of circumstances will allow. Now, the determined, they reposition reprioritize, reallocate, and do whatever it is that they need to do to increase the capacity of their charge so that they can power their dream from belief into reality. Now, an amp by itself is a device that increases the voltage, the current, or the power of a signal. And an amp doesn't work by itself. It needs to be connected to speakers. And here is where we connect to these extraordinary speakers who are going to share their stories, who found a way to power belief into reality, doing so to encourage you to be able to do the same in your life. What would you tell the 18-year-old version of yourself? And if you would be so kind as to give us a glimpse as to what was going on in that young man's life. Wow. Wow. 18 years old, you know. (laughs) Man, if you're ready for it, here it goes. At 18 years old, uh, I was in the process of flunking out of my first year at Tuskegee University. Um, The whole weight of the world was on my show. I didn't know how to be. In college, you know, I, I kind of drifted through. I took a whole lot of uh, financial aid, and, they, and I even got scholarship money to go to Tuskegee, and I squandered it. You know, when I left Tuskegee University, I had zero usable credit hours after a year of study there. Wow! Um, and so that person was undecided; didn't know what he wanted to do with his life. He just knew that he had to get out of his mom's house, and you know, follow the traditional way that you're taught: go get a, go get a. To college, get your education, get a, a you know a government job, or go work for the post office, or just do something. Um, and so I tried, and I failed miserably. And it was there where I would start to put the pieces of my life back together. And so if I'm talking to that kid, this is part of the process. Nothing is perfect, you know. When, when you start out, you're, you're uh, what you want to be, and you know, and what you become, you know, maybe the same thing that may not be. And so 
you know, I wanted to be a police officer. That's what I wanted to do, go be a police officer. Um, and I found that actually after leaving Tuskegee, you know, I tried to go get into the police academy and I did some of those things and, uh, you know, on my journey. But that but telling an 18 year old now, you know, nobody has any patience and it's all about patience, it's all about failing. And just because you fail once doesn't mean, you know, that you stop. And, you know, yeah, yeah, somebody always told me, told me, you know, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And, you know, you could be 40 years old and it's like, well, I'm 40 and it's too old. It's too late for me to do it. It's like, man, I'm 40. And then, you know, but the response is always, hey, how old will you be if you don't do it? Come you know, on. You're still going to be 40, 50 years old. So go for it. And that's that's been my my uh, motto. I, I, you know, I've failed. Uh, and but it took me to the failure to actually, you know, and hitting rock bottom to actually have something to place my feet up on to rise back up to the top. Come on now. When it came time for me to actually do something with my life, you know, I took the more traditional route. You know, I went to college. Uh, I barely finished high school, but then I got into college and I did fairly well in college um, and went into the field of social work. But there was something that I had this knack for that no one ever had to teach me to do. And that was to be able to write and make people laugh. And uh, so uh, I gave up a career in social work and went after this dream, you know, and it's taken me a while. You know, it was it was a lot of. uh Everything in the back of my car, in the back seat, you know, when I was trying to make this this life for myself, I, you know, I gave up everything in Albany, Georgia. I was a children's uh, social worker, and I, you know, I gave that up. Masters in counseling, uh, bachelors in criminal justice, and you know, I was working toward the traditional, hey, get a social services job, and and do that. And I, I ended up, you know, getting on an open mic uh, at a comedy club. Uh, actually, it wasn't even a comedy club, but just I turned it into a comedy club and wow. people were laughing. And I said, you know what? I could do this. This was this. It took me nothing to do that. You know, and I had to study to do what I'm actually, you know, getting paid and keeping a roof over my head with. You know, so why can't I do this, which feels so much better? It's come so much more naturally to me. I hope you all are listening to this. Like I said, there's somebody out there right now. Look, it, it, it's me. I'll tell you right now. I'm like, you took a leave from a job for a dream. That's power. What was going on with you at 18, if you don't mind sharing? Well, in my community, if you didn't have a child uh, by the age of 16, there was something wrong with you. Uh, Everybody dropped out of school and uh, got pregnant. We got on public assistance, welfare, food stamps, Medicaid. That that was just the norm uh, for for my community. My mother was on welfare for 23 years. She raised us kids on welfare. And uh, so I was determined from a young age that I would have a job and have a different lifestyle because on, for anyone who doesn't know what welfare is like or public assistance, the government gives you a, a check, basically a check once a month that comes on the first of the month. Right. And the amount of money you get depends on how many kids you have and all that. Um, but that money is gone by the fifth of the month and you just learn to live without for the rest of the month. There is no money management skills. There is no saving for anything because every there's more month at the end of the money. Okay. So 
And that's caused financial problems for me as an adult, because as soon as I got money, I had to get rid of it because right. that's how I was raised. You know, uh, it was like, oh, I got, you know, a $2,500 tax return. I need to go get rid of it because that's how right. I was raised. The money came on the first and it was gone on the fifth. So uh, at the age of 18, that was my lifestyle. I had uh, my first child at the age of 16. Okay. Um, and I went on public assistance, but I was determined not to stay there. So I got a job at McDonald's at 16 and I I've worked for 30 years for other people. I'm 47 now and I just started my own practice. Uh, but if somebody could have told me years ago that there's another option, you know, uh, there are many other options, actually, that you don't have to live the way that you are raised. You know, mm. I'm saying uh, lies about your raising. Uh, I really right. feel proud of myself that I've been able to accomplish that. And it's my goal to help other people do the same thing. You don't have to stay uh, in the patterns that your parents or grandparents um, and your siblings, you know, uh, have been accustomed to and have just adopted as their lifestyle. So I was really I struggling. People are listening to this because there's a pattern here. We're hearing determination. I don't like where I'm at. Setting boundaries and and not accepting what it is that you're being handed. See, it is imperative that we have people like you out showing and leading by example. How did you make belief reality? Like, how did you, coming from where you were, working your regular job, how did you make belief reality into becoming someone who owns their own business and does completely their own thing? Like, how did that occur? You know, <clears throat> I, I've, I've heard someone say before, just because you hope in something or you believe in something, that doesn't make it true. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that, you know, I, I'm fully behind that statement because what that means is that there's work involved, right? There's action involved. You just can't yeah. sit and hope and wait. Right. And that, that's not my personality at all. So if I know I have a goal, um, I know I have to put the work in and that's just as simple as it gets. So um, there's also a statement that says I'd rather work 60 hours a week as an entrepreneur than work 30 to 40 hours as an employee. And that's very true as well. I mean, you know, being an entrepreneur or a business owner is not necessarily easy. No. You have to have the um, mindset that, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You're going to get it done. Right. And that's me. If I have my mind, I'm a pit bull. If I have, my, right now. If I have my teeth sunk into something, I'm not letting loose until I get what I want out of it. So um, I'm 100% that person, even though I may be introverted, even though I may not seem um, the life of the party, I am that person. I sink my teeth in. I put my head down and I work. And I think it's important for everyone who has a goal that they want to achieve. You can hope for it. You can believe it's going to happen, but you got to back it up with the actions and the work. That's all right. How did you make belief reality? And when I say that, 
you had a vision that came out of that responsibility of sharing that gift. You were at a point where that vision was just thoughts in your mind. How did you make belief reality? Okay. Um, well, the thoughts that was in my mind, uh, God gave me a, a kind of a glimpse of, of, of the potential that it could be. Um, and once I began to get that glimpse, um, I began to do whatever I could to uh, support that vision. Uh, for instance, uh, there have been several along the way, uh, and I'm still working on them constantly. And so, um, for instance, uh, I think I may have shared with you this story uh, years ago. I may, may, might not have, but um, when I was really, when I came back to Natchez, uh, I was in, I think, Texas, Dallas. And when I came back here, um, it was under circumstances that I really didn't. Uh, it wasn't my first choice to come back here, but circumstances put it where doors were closing and God was leading me back here. I just didn't know it at the time. Mm. And so um, when I got back here, I was frustrated. I was disappointed um, because I thought my vision would have me going in a different direction. Uh, but when I got here, uh, the Lord did. Uh, my father was the minister of a uh, church. Uh, and so I got a chance to kind of see him. And when I saw him, knowing that God uh, put something inside of me to be able to reach out and to teach and to be able to help people, I began to kind of just look at what he was doing. And God began to give me a vision of saying, you know, what he's doing, you could be doing that uh, also. And then more uh, because, you know, God is, a, is an exceeding God. Uh, and so he was sharing with me that, you know, you can do more. And so uh, I began to try to support that. In other words, uh, I started doing things in my life to line up with that vision. Uh, I on a week on a weekend where, you know, you, I would generally go meet my friends because I hadn't seen them in years. And since I'm back now, people want to kind of hang out with me and I want to hang with other people. But once I got that vision, I, on a Friday and a Saturday, I would go to the church because, you know, my father had the keys. So I would go into the church and I would go into his office, say about 10 o'clock, nine o'clock. Uh, and I would just be in that big building all by myself. And I would just stay in that building up until about three or four in the morning because I didn't want to be around anyone or anybody else. And I would actually be in the either in his office or I would go into the pulpit area and just sit and just envision how it would look to have that that uh, audience, I mean, that auditorium packed, how it would look to have the balcony packed. And I would literally sit there and visualize for hours at a time uh, and play it in my mind how it would look and play it in my mind what I would be doing and play it in my mind the impact it would be having. And so I would try to do whatever I could to try to line up those things. And I think I shared with you on one other occasion, when we moved over to this location where we're at now, this facility, uh, there's a Burger King that's right out, right across the street from us. And so when God uh, gave me the vision that we could uh, possibly have this uh, facility, it was well out of our reach at the time. But I, I, I just asked the people to let me have a tour of the place. And as I walked through the building, God just began to crystallize a vision of being able to have a church as well as a school uh, <clears throat> at this location. And so what I would do then 
I, we were still at the other location, the 4th Street location. On my lunch break, I would take my lunch, uh, go into the Burger King parking lot, and just park there for an hour and a half and have my car where it would be facing the facility we're at now. And I would just sit there for an hour, hour and a half, and just visualize. I could see school buses dropping kids off. I could see kids playing. I saw all of that in my mind for months and literally several years at a time before that ever, uh, before we ever moved over here because I needed to support the vision that God gave me. And so I don't know if that answers the question, but those are some of the things that I tried to do. I, I got it. Right there. If y'all are listening, I need you not to just listen. I need you to see because wherever you're at right now, you might not be where it is that that you see yourself, but you need to start seeing yourself and placing yourself in position to line up with the destiny that God has for you. This has been one of the most powerful illustrations of everything that this podcast is talking about. To change the narrative in your life, take the next step. Invest in yourself and book a life strategy coaching session with me at www.beliefinteriordesign.com. Let's start the journey of making belief reality.